electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer, and this is Squawk Pod. The holiday week rolls on. Get ready to pay more for your streaming dramas. Save on your electricity. You get a credit, and sometimes you actually get paid directly for the power save. And why your wallet controls your brain. It's the prices in front of you that shape your beliefs about what's going on. And Barbie tried, but it was a tough year at the box office. Media analyst Paul Dergarabedian says streaming's got an edge because it's gone global. I think a lot of people who love streaming, they also love going to the movie theater, but streaming is presenting so many different types of content. Plus, the best of Squawk in 2023, an interview with inventor and YouTube sensation Mark Rober. My goal Get as many brains as possible stoked about science and engineering, especially the young folks. Glitter bombs, squirrel races, and so much more. It's Wednesday, December 27th. Squawk Pod begins right now. First up today on the podcast, oil prices fluctuating due to concerns over military activity in the Red Sea. The U.S. and its allies stepping up their campaign in the region, including an exchange yesterday that saw a U.S. Navy destroyer and F-18 fighter group shoot down 17 drones and missiles launched by Iranian-backed Houthi rebels. This is the latest sign the war between Israel and Hamas risks expanding into a wider conflict. And how does it impact American energy consumers, like all of us? Oil prices had been a bit up and down since the conflict began on October 7th on concerns that things just like what's happening in the Red Sea would happen. Movement of supply around the world would be restricted. The U.S. is responding by protecting its energy supply. The Biden administration is adding crude to the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. The government is purchasing 3 million barrels. That brings the total buyback to 14 million barrels following last year's sales. And the last factor that can impact energy prices? Mild winter weather. That lovely spring-like Christmas day sends natural gas and home oil heating prices down. And we got into the psychology of energy prices this morning on the Squawk Box TV broadcast. Contessa Brewer, Steve Leisman, and Leslie Picker were on set. Leslie kicks things off. Heating oil dipping more than 5% on forecasts of warmer weather for the East Coast. I was also reading headlines about Minnesota. People were walking around over Christmas without coats on. And I mean, I think there is some blizzard activity well, expected in the North snap, Midwest. I think, but uh, first, after the first of the year. But there's also this El Nino thing that says it's supposed to be relatively warmer through March. I, I do think that the, the interesting thing about home heating prices, whether it comes from oil or from natural gas or, quite frankly, from electricity, is that this is one of the areas where you can make people feel poor because of what they're spending on winter heating. And we've seen this before. It has a similar in, impact in the winter as summer gas prices when people want to drive and, and go on vacation. So what you may get is uh, consumers feeling like they have more money in their pocket because they're not 
paying out $1,000 bills every time the guy comes to fill up the tank at home to heat their home. So whether the weather lasts and whether this is just, you know, a, a freak late fall sort of warmer period um, is to be seen. But I think that's an important insight into the whole inflation dynamic. It's the prices in front of you that shape your beliefs about what's going on both in your life and in prices, whether or not they represent a substantial portion of your expenditures. You do go to the gas station every day or, or, or every week and you do uh, uh, fill up your house and pay that, that bill when it comes. A lot of other service prices are fairly constant, you know, your cable bill, your telephone bill. Uh, even your car payment and your house payment remain constant, but it's those fluctuating prices that are right in front of you that tend to shape your inflation uh, uh, expectations. Yeah, there was that piece in the journal this morning about the misery index and how it's diverged from uh, consumer sentiment in a way that you know you don't historically see. Usually, you've got the inverse of the misery index, which they say is a factor of unemployment and inflation, and it usually moves inversely with you know consumer sentiment which makes sense. But this year, things have gotten better in the economy, but people still aren't feeling good. And they attribute that to, you know, Republicans not being happy that President Biden is in the White House, as well as some after effects of the pandemic. But it is kind of an interesting trend. They're not trend. happy, but they're still spending. They're not happy. They're still spending. So does it matter if like people are spending unhappy? Makes us I guess feel it matters better. for the election. I know but. a little bit about this. I, I, I wrote that story last week when we did our uh, CNBC All-America survey showing high holiday spending intentions but low sentiment. I also wrote that story for the front page of the Wall Street Journal in 2002 when um, uh, after 9-11, consumer sentiment numbers plunged, spending remained robust, people found themselves extremely depressed and buying automobiles. Um, why? Because prices had sunk and they had, they had were incentives from the government to go buy autos. So the connection between sentiment and, and consumption, I, I think, is tenuous at best. I think if you had, if you asked economists, well, at turning points, it matters a lot. But sentiment can go up and down, even be down. But spending can be high because the most important question when it comes to spending are incomes and the price you're spending, right, that you're paying. So what I've always said is don't say somebody won't spend until you know the price they're not going to spend at. Right. So if a car is X and, 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 and I'm feeling bad, I'm not going to buy the car. But if the car is X minus and is 10 percent off, I may go buy that car mm. no matter how depressed I am. It's retail therapy. Exactly. <laughs> What's good about streaming? You can watch what you want, when you want, without commercials. Oh, wait. Amazon Prime Video will start to show ads starting on January 29th. And if you want the ad-free tier, you're going to have to pay more. An additional $2.99 a month. Amazon says the move will allow it to continue investing in compelling content. We talked a little bit yesterday about this idea that you're paying, I don't even know what Prime costs now. I just know that the right. prices for Prime keep going up. And, and mostly, people may opt for Prime for the free shipping. But you get the Amazon Prime on your device without the ads and already the freebie comes with ads. You know, showing ads for a streaming service that you're paying for seems like, you know, on well, I guess we pay for I'm cable right and we see you. ads on I mean, <laughs> I feel, and this is like a curmudgeon thing to say, but I have a four-year-old who watches TV. You know, he's used to only watching streaming his whole life. And then all of a sudden we start introducing ads and he's like, what is this? And I'm like, welcome 
to life, sweetie. This and also, is, that's how you introduce consumerism early. Well, that's the, that's the flip side. I don't side know. I, here's what I'm thinking. I, I remember how to talk with a, um, a mall developer once, and he said, well, let's see. They have this thing where you order it online, and they send it in five days. And then you have a thing, you order it online, and you send it in three days. Then you have a thing where you order it online, and you go pick it up at the store. Sounds like they invented the mall. <laughs> it's full circle. Now it feels like with all these ads on streaming, why aren't they driving me back to my cable? Well, the ads are shorter why? on streaming. They're Usually shorter. they're 30 okay. seconds, they're targeted. But at the end of the, day, the end of the day, there's a convenience to cable. I, I know we're wrapping up here, but it, that, that strikes me as... You know, maybe maybe I'm buying cable cable companies with all these ads going on. I don't know. I'm very pro cable. Well, of course we're pro cable, but <laughs> yeah. but we but like if it. the thing we becomes like the here. same, then what's the difference? At eleven ninety nine here, nine nine. Do you have any idea, Contessa, what you're paying nope. for all these streaming things? No, I do not. I honestly, I do not. I know that I've cut a few in the last year, but but no. Turning back to energy today, electricity demand is high. But there are new innovations consumers can tap into to get power virtually. Is that reality? Pippa Stevens is here now with more. Pippa, this is a new one for me. Virtual power plants. I'm trying to wrap my head around what that means. <laughs> oh. Yeah, so essentially the grid is facing a host of challenges. As you said, electricity demand is rising. And then intermittent sources like solar can't just ramp up when we need it. And that's where virtual power plants come in. At the simplest, it's a collection of thousands of smart devices. Think panels, home batteries, thermostats, EVs, that when grouped together can help the grid by either providing a power bank or reducing demand at peak times. There are benefits for both the customer and the utility. First is just a more reliable grid. Blackouts have surged 64% over the last decade, costing some $150 billion annually, and VPPs can help utilities load shift. They also cut emissions and reduce costs. The utility might not have to build a gas peaker plant, and the customer gets a credit for power supplied to the grid. Now, there are multiple stakeholders here, including residential battery installers like Sunrun, Sonova, or Enphase, grid services companies like iTron and STEM, and then utilities themselves that are adopting these programs, including Edison International and National Grid. So this really is a story about power in numbers. What does it mean for the overall costs? So essentially, it, it reduces costs for both the utility and the customers because Utilities always have to have generation to match demand. And so there are things called gas peaker plants, which only fire up. It can be only a couple of hours per year, but it has to be there as a resource, as, as a resource should demand surge. And so if the utility has a VPP, they might not have to build that gas peaker plant because they can call on customers to reduce their demand rather than ramping up supply to match you know, demand that could be at an all-time high unnecessarily. But how does it work the, the residential customer buys the battery or the generator or whatever the devices are that are going to feed into the grid and then the utility goes to them and says hey we know that you bought this we'd like to have you as part of the grid. So, okay so customers opt into these programs and a lot of the time utilities will incentivize it by providing something like a smart thermostat. So think about it if you know let's say thousands of customers thousands of homes are lowered by one degree that starts to have a very meaningful do they impact. lower it or do you lower it the utility lowers it but you can so they always control opt my out. thermostat no, no 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 you opt in and you can always choose to opt out so another thing is like you know, right. charging your electric vehicle you know maybe you want to charge it at peak times when you get home from work but everybody's tapping into the grid at that moment so power prices are higher so you can say to your, your utility hey you can charge it at a time maybe 2 a.m when there's not a lot of demand on the grid but you can always opt out. There's always the option to say, 
hey, you know, actually I do want to charge my EV at this time. But you get a credit and sometimes you actually get paid directly for the power saved. How reliable is this? I think of anything that is more in my control as being a little scarier in terms of reliability. Is it, well, I mean, is it as functional as, uh, you know, the, the old way of doing this? Yes. And so, you know, ultimately it's here to help grid reliability because the idea is that the grid is changing with more distributed energy resources. There's no longer this constant supply and demand. We're not ramping up fossil fuels to meet demand. You know, the grid of yesteryear was built to always have that match. And today it's different. Customers are generating their own power. And so ultimately, if the utility can tap into your battery and be smart about it, then they might not have to implement things like rolling blackouts because they're tapping into a customer's battery in one area and then shifting the so power. Maybe they went. striking thing in your report that blackouts are up 64%. At a time when we require the grid to be more and more reliable, it's getting less and less reliable. That's well, it's pretty hard. outrageous. Yeah, it's hard to, it's really hard Something's to manage. Something's wrong. Costs are going up, electricity Something's demand wrong. is growing up, going up. I mean, you know, it, you climate, can, climate risk is real and that there is always the potential for a cyber attack that takes down the grid. And that's, a, you know, in the insurance space, this is something we that don't gets- need, We don't they, need terrorists to take down the grid. We take it down ourselves. Yeah. It's a 64% increase in blackouts. People are tapping the grid a lot and it's a very different grid. It's no longer the centralized behemoth. Now, when you have all these devices, when you have EVs growing around, going around, you have heat pumps. There's just so much more demand and different types of demand for a grid that was built a century ago. Very thank you very much. Coming up on Squawk Pod, get your popcorn. It's the ticket to movie theater success. Media analyst Paul Dergarabedian says in 2024, the international market is big box office. Having a global view uh, is very important, both from the filmmaker perspective uh, and also from the studio perspective. And if you look on streaming, look how much content on streaming is internationally flavored. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Squawk Pod from CNBC. It's the sleepiest week of 2023, movies and leftovers week for many, but the year didn't have the greatest track record at the box office. Riddled with film delays due to the Hollywood strikes, dollars pouring into streaming, and disappointment in theater offerings, like dwindling interest in superhero movies, for example, studios have some soul-searching to do when it comes to 2024 ticketing. Here's Contessa Brewer with Leslie Picker and Steve Leesman on Squawk Box Today. The highest grossing movies of the year are Barbie, 
followed by Super Mario Brothers movie and Oppenheimer, um, which both of the second are universal films. I only saw the third one. I, oh, you did? I saw Oppenheimer, that was it. Okay, well, I saw the first two. Me too, because we have kids. You didn't go to Guarding the Galaxy or Guardians of the Galaxy? It, no, I saw that on the plane. Yeah, so did that you was, really? Mm -hmm. Joining us now to discuss what to expect in 2024 is Paul Darragarabian. No, no, no. I can do better than this. Darragarabian. How did I do? You got it. Comscore you did senior. It perfectly. Media. Thank you. I, you know what? I want to get it right because I, you know I have a three-syllable first name, and it's important that it's accurate. So, Paul, well, thank my you name, for being here. my name won't fit. It won't even fit on a movie marquee. That's a problem <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> Practice makes perfect. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the much-proclaimed demise of the superhero movies. I'm looking at the top box office here, and I still see three superhero movies made it to the top ten. It's not all bad, is it? That's right. I mean, there's this idea that there's superhero fatigue, and you make a great point when you look at those top movies. There are many superhero movies among them. I think it's more an issue with audiences who are uninitiated, who aren't necessarily big fans of comic book movies, having to do a ton of homework to figure out how all these characters and universes fit together. There's a huge amount of these superhero programs on the small screen as well. And I just think there's been an oversaturation of that. But yes, if you look at those top movies worldwide and, and domestically, a lot of superheroes there. But this weekend with Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom, uh, that earned about $38.3 million for the four days, according to our Comscore data. I think people had hoped for more. But I think that audiences love going to the movies. And if you have a unique or different way of telling a story, like with Five Nights at Freddy's, uh, Godzilla Minus One, and in fact, this past weekend, we had two Japanese cinema and two Indian cinema titles in the top 10. I think we're getting a lot of actionable intelligence from audiences who are saying either with their absence or presence at the movie theater, what they want to see on that big screen. How much of that is because it's super important for the movie makers to appeal to an inter international audience? I mean, I'm looking at the domestic yeah. earnings versus worldwide earnings. In every case, like Barbie, more than doubled what it made domestically with what it made internationally. That says to me, you got to make movies that appeal to Europeans and Asians and South Americans. You just hit the nail on the head. That's exactly what's going on. And in fact, the first Aquaman movie earned almost 71% uh, of its box office outside of the U.S. and Canada in the international market. In fact, this weekend, it did much more business internationally than it did in North America. So you're absolutely right. A lot of these, uh, having a global view uh, is very important, both from the filmmaker perspective uh, and also from the studio perspective. And if you look on streaming, look how much content on streaming is internationally flavored, has a point of view that has, you know, everybody is kind of included in that. There's something for everyone there, but you also need it to be unique sure. and different. But yes, a lot of those franchises, the big ones really rely on that international box office. Fast X, you know, the Fast and Furious franchise, for years, those have to totally relied on that international box office to build up their profitability. Well, I wanted to ask you about all of this chatter about the potential tie-up between Warner Brothers Discovery and Paramount. If you see a merger of that scale or 
you know, that then gets floated, well, could Comcast be interested with NBC Universal? What does that do to the creative content that we see in the movie theaters? Well, you know, that's really interesting because by combining two huge studios, it really is a big deal for their streaming platforms because they want that content. And a lot of these studios or these entities, these streaming entities, they want that filmed entertainment on a big screen first, and then that can feed the streaming side to bring people on board. And I think for audiences, they follow showrunners, uh, movie franchises, the archive titles, the library titles that a lot of these studios have. So, and then you also have everyone circling around, you know, whether it be uh, Amazon or, or Apple, uh, you know, uh, Warner's, whatever it may be, all these companies are kind of doing this, this dance. They're trying to figure out what everyone is doing. We're in a time of incredible change right now. I think we're seeing a shift in audience taste. Also, I think we're seeing how streaming is impacting movie going, meaning I think a lot of people who love streaming, they also love going to the movie theater, but streaming is presenting so many different types of content that it's opening the, I think the minds yeah. of the audience that they want something different, not cookie cutter all the time. Paul Dare Garabedian, thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate <laughs> thank your time you. this morning. Next on Squawk Pod, thinking like an engineer. Someone stole a package from my porch. And as an engineer, if I want to will something into existence, I can just do that. So I made a glitter bomb bait package, right? YouTube sensation Mark Rober, a Bill Nye of sorts for kids who love to build and who end up learning. And soon enough, you're learning about the scientific method and chemistry and, you know, failures being part of the engineering design process, which then makes you more resilient as, you know, playing piano or, or playing soccer. How Rober is cashing in on fun learning right after this. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. You're listening to Squawk Pod from CNBC. Each day this week, we are bringing you our best Squawk Box interviews of 2023. And this next one is part of the creator economy. YouTuber and social sensation Mark Rober, the former NASA and Apple engineer, is well-known and loved among young kids. And as it turns out, their parents, too. His online videos include building glitter bomb packages to serve porch pirates right and obstacle courses for the squirrels in his backyard. Whether squirrels are stealing your bird seeds so you build them an obstacle course, or humans are stealing your packages so you go full home alone, the beauty about being an engineer is you can come up with clever solutions for your real-life challenges. Mark Rober has over 29 million subscribers on YouTube today. And with all that support, he started Crunch Labs, an educational technology company that sends subscription boxes of engineering projects right to kids. Since its launch in 2022, he's sold 2 million boxes. Mark Rober joined our Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin earlier in December on set at the NASDAQ in Times Square. Here's Becky. 
Mark, it's really great to have you in studio. The last time we talked, it was uh, remote. This is better. That's right. This is better. New York's amazing this time of year. Yeah, it is. Uh, you, you are somebody that I first learned about from my son, my 12-year-old son, who, by the way, woke up at 4 in the morning because he wanted to come in, <laughs> which he never, ever does, letting him miss the top of school for this. But you have a way of reaching kids, and it's content that I can approve of because he is learning even though he may not realize it along the way. Yeah, that's kind of the secret sauce. We try to hide the vegetables, right? And, uh, you know, the kids like it, and then the parents like it because it's like positive content where the kids are actually learning something. It's like my goal get as many brains as possible stoked about science and engineering, especially the young folks. But you do it in such a way that they really are tricked. I mean, I, I, I don't know if you guys remember the videos. He does yes. the the... You got yeah, mad like because somebody was stealing yeah, yeah. exploding. Yeah, cool. like a 15-ton jello pool. You know, that's a really, it's a really engaging thumbnail. And you, and you see this, so you want to click on it and watch it. Like, what kid doesn't? But then soon enough, you're learning about the scientific method and chemistry. And, you know, failures being part of the engineering design process, which then makes you more resilient as, you know, playing piano or, or playing soccer. So it's all part, you know, on the box, it says... Think like an engineer. That's the promise. And by the way, we're subscribers too. We're okay, this box nice. every month from Crunch Labs. <laughs> that that Crunch Labs took off when you yeah. launched this last year. You yeah. were hoping, I think, to have 100,000 subscriptions by the end of the year. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, yeah. We were hoping to have 100,000. That was kind of the plan after like two years, and we did that in like less than six months. Um, and so, you know, almost immediately profitable. Uh, and just in a position where it gives us more opportunity. We have quite a roadmap. So this is like the first sort of entry into the market. And then what's you know, what, so the age range? This one's for plus eight. Yeah, this is like eight to 12 or so. So you get okay. a fun toy. You know, the first one's like a disc launcher like this. You have this at home. Does it you have it working? I, yeah. And then the engineering principle here is like flywheels, right? Can I shoot? <laughs> uh, so you, you learn about Kyle made this. flywheels, right? But then and then this, you learn about linkages, and this is like a drawing machine where when you, you, know, you turn it on, you know, this pen goes around and it, it creates a really cool pattern. So each time, each one comes with a video uh, where you learn the engineering principle, but at the end of the day, they have to be fun. Like first and foremost, the first thing is they have to be fun. Um, you did all of this with self-funding. You didn't raise any money for this. You That's were able right. to do it with the funds you already make from the videos that you are posting online. Yeah, which, which yeah, which is just, it's fast. It's such an interesting time to be alive where you can do that, right? That's the power of the creator economy. And then you know, we reach 200 million eyeballs a month through the YouTube videos. So then when you want to tell people about the next box or what you're working on, some of the new initiatives now we're doing with Crunch Labs, I could tap a microphone and we have that audience, right? And, well, and it's so, so weird for media. I just, for years, I've been worried about how hard it is to convince someone to, to be to go into engineering mm -hmm. in, in undergraduate school. I'm wondering, and, and it's, we say, hey, you gotta go become an, go, go in, it's like, you go to engineering, I wanna go out uh, yeah, during yeah. the week yeah. at University of Colorado or, or yeah. wherever that I was. What were you thinking? And to be able to, to do it this way, it, organically to get people maybe to wanna pursue that, that's the only way we can do it because you can't just tell someone, why did you do it? it was, were, yeah, mechanical? that's right. Were you mechanical? Mechanical, that's you right. Were? Yeah. No one wants, it's so, okay, counterpoint. Yeah. Someone stole a package from my porch 
And as an engineer, if I want to will something into existence, I can just do that. So I made a glitter bomb bait package, right? But bef but in a, before you went to undergrad, well, why did you decide to do it before? You were uh, in high school. You were. Yeah, there? yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just thought. Were you nerdy and weird? Yeah, of course. I'm. I'm still nerdy, which yeah. is great. Yeah. It's, what a time to be alive, where like the nerds Unbelie can do stuff. Yeah, but it's amazing, and it's it's so necessary. But yeah, that's right. But I, I genuinely though, and I think you'd find there's a lot of kids today who have the same mentality, especially when they on YouTube, they can see all the cool stuff you can make. I mean, it's one of the, I think a lot of kids want to be engineers today because you could just see what you can do with and it. And then there's EE and then, and then chemical engineering and then, you, ah, and then I'm right. just lost. Yeah, I'm, then I'm, I'm, just, I'm lost. just out in the weeds, forget it. Do you have any fear about AI making all of this less valuable or do you think it makes it more valuable? Uh, when you say this, which part of this? Meaning like being an engineer. Being, building something. Building something. I mean, I think there's a big sort of existential question that people have about, you know, what our kids are supposed to be doing yeah. a decade or two decades from now yeah. and what they're supposed to learn now yeah. that'll put them in the best position to do yeah. whatever that is that they're going to do. Yeah. I would argue you're, you're uh, safer about being a mechanical engineer than like a computer programmer, uh, you know, because you're actually making a Stuff thing. with your hands. Yeah, stuff yes. with your hands. But I would say- The robots haven't got there yet. They haven't got there yet, but I, I find AI and these things to be good collaborative partners. Uh, even if you are coding, which I code, you know, sometimes. You do. Chat GPT helps a lot. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, once in a while you code. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. Do not. He worked on a yeah. Mars rover. Yeah, yeah, we spent, yeah. yeah, and we worked at NASA for nine years working on the Mars rover, and, and uh, now we make really cool, you know, to help inspire the next generation of Mars rover which builders. Which we need. I mean, with. If we have all communications majors, we're loved. We, 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 we have started substituting loved for, for the, the F, F word. word. Yeah. So that, what I just said was if we have all communications majors, we're loved. Yeah, yeah, we're loved. Got if, it. If we got communications building bridges or, you know, sending up yeah. um, uh, airplanes. Yeah. What I, what I love is the next step in this, where, okay, in the last year, you've created Crunch Labs that yeah. you send home to people. You've mm -hmm. got a, a virtual camp that kids mm -hmm. signed up for, and I think it's the biggest camp short of some of the religious camps that yeah. are out there. Mm -hmm. um, what comes next? Are you going to take on partners, take out on outside money? Because if you're really going to build this into an entertainment and toy company and all kinds of products that are out there, that might take additional investment. Yeah, that's right. I mean, right now, to be honest, like, we just don't need the money to do what we need. But if it's the right strategic partner, like we are entertaining some of those conversations because we have two big, big ideas. Even in schools, you know, there's a version of this that's made for older kids. There's like a lot. Just a small question. Social media. Yeah. You've become a star on social mm -hmm. media between YouTube sure. uh, and all your other channels. Yeah. So for those out there and people who are thinking about marketing and all sorts of things, which one's working? Which one's not? Uh, people talk about X these days. Yeah. Does that work for you? Maybe yeah. it doesn't. Is Instagram a thing for you? Where's TikTok for you? Yeah, I, for me, YouTube is, you know, I'll, I'll, we'll average, we have a pretty high average views on, on YouTube. So YouTube and Instagram are kind of like the bigger things where if we talk about a thing, we'll see pretty quick action from that. You, it, you're on TikTok. Yeah, though. yeah, yeah. And that, but you think that's, that's a, that it's less effective? I mean, I think, I'm asking more because I think we have a lot of people who watch the program who are thinking, where should I be placing my ad dollars? You know, where should I be focused, my, focusing my attention as it, as it relates yeah, to social YouTube media? Is, or Instagram is really great for like instant results, like pushing a product, getting results, like clicking through. I'd say YouTube is more kind of brand building awareness if you're placing an ad you know, on that platform. Um, but if you have, I mean, the, most, the best thing is if you can have an actual 
you know, someone who has a following talking about your product versus just putting an ad on those platforms, right? right? So a collab. Yeah, a collab, exactly. You know the lingo. Okay. <laughs> Mark Rober. Mark, want to thank you for coming in, but more importantly, thank you for getting our kids excited about science and engineering. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks a lot. And it's, uh, it's at Squawk, but what's our, can you do something on your 28 million? <laughs> you got to do a collab. Yeah, Come on. Yeah, yeah. We can do a collab. You got to pay for a collab or you're loved. So. <laughs> <laughs> and that's Squawk Pod for today, this December 27th. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. And to get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.